Welcome to Threadbare. I am your host Suresh P. Thomas. In the first episode of the two-part series titled Schools and Textbooks, Dr. Manish Jain had spoken about the history of curriculum revisions in India and the dangers of using school textbooks as a political weapon. In the second episode, we examine curriculum revisions in the context of grassroots structural reforms that the Indian education system needs to make. Our guest is Professor R. Govinda, former Vice Chancellor, National University of Education Planning, New Delhi. Professor Govinda is one of the foremost educationists in the country and is a member of several national and international bodies, such as the Council of Consultant Fellows of International Institute of Educational Planning and the International Advisory Group of the Global Monitoring Report, UNESCO. His current areas of interest cover primary education, decentralized management, policy analysis, human rights, and democracy. Welcome to Threadbare, Professor Agovinda. Thank you. Can you please provide a brief outline of the process of textbook production in India in terms of the working of NCRT, its vision, the various processes that constitute a curriculum revision activity? You know, as far as textbook production is concerned, in India, it is the it is the responsibility of uh, each of the states. And uh, normally, the state uh, textbook production, textbook preparation and production, these are two different things. Preparation is done by the State Council of Education Research and Training, and production is done by the textbook corporations or whatever that we call. That is normally the procedure. Actually, when we got independence, I think I need to really look at it a little historically. In the early decades, it was a lot of confusion. Uh, there was no textbook properly prescribed in many places and all. And uh, the full process started in mid-60s with the state institutes of education coming into picture, which became state councils of education, research and training. I would say till 70s and maybe early 80s also, the, the NCRT supported them to develop their capability for curriculum making and textbook production. But uh, 80s onwards, NCRT itself started producing textbooks. Till that time, they were not producing. Now, this has set, uh, in a way, in my, in my view, it's uh, disturbed the apple cart, as they say. Uh, it disturbed the balance. Because some states afterwards began copying the NCRT textbooks, translating them into their language badly, very often. And some states opposed what NCRT is doing. So it became a different issue afterwards. Issues were not there till then. It all started afterwards. So that is how textbook production today is a very complex thing, which some states consider they, they have the full right and then they will do whatever they want to do. Uh, but there are people who say that we should look from a national angle and produce textbooks which are national in nature. This has become a very controversial issue from that point of view. As far as curriculum making is concerned, curriculum building is essentially a statement of principles in terms of both pedagogic and also in terms of normative concerns of according to the, uh, the contemporary socio-economic and socio-political considerations. What is worth learning? That is what curriculum prescription means. Curriculum is essentially a technical, pedagogic, cognitive engagement. Uh, that what to re what is worth learning at a point of time and how it should be really delivered to the children of the country. 
that is what curriculum framework tells us by itself ordinarily it should not be controversial at all but we all know that curriculum making has become such a controversial proposition particularly from the late 90s it became a big controversy till that time it was dormant but it became big controversy from 1990s onwards now i think it has become some sort of a play field for uh, everyone everyone who wants to enter the journalists the politicians the academics everybody wants to play there in that play field uh but i don't think this uh, this playground has really helped much the children who have to learn also much of the the debates and discourses that happens in my view regarding curriculum today they are all essentially concerns of the elites of this country for whom it may matter or it may not matter it's a very very uh, very uh, unusual paradoxical kind of situation that we are in that you know uh, the ncrt produces textbooks which are to be used by central board of secondary education affiliated schools uh, you will be surprised to know that there are only 25000 schools in the whole country which are affiliated or even less than 25000 affiliated to the cbse but most of the discussions is on ncrt textbooks in this country unfortunately that is because this is the concerns of the elites i would say that the remaining schools are all with the state boards and state boards are so uneven and some of them produce textbooks which are in such horrible condition but nobody seems to be really seriously concerned about what happens to children second paradoxical situation is that people who study the children who study in uh, cbsc affiliated schools most of them are private self financing high end high fee charging schools these children they enter uh, high end education systems and half of them don't really stay in this country go to iits and iims and then travel abroad and then get their big pay packets that's what they are concerned that is the i don't know whether they are really concerned about what is taught in the 9th standard and 10th standard now the remaining very large number of children that we are talking let us really look at it uh, nearly 40 to 50% children don't complete even 8th grade for them of what concern is it about what is included in the 10th standard textbook or 11th standard textbook you tell me and even those who complete a standard and enter secondary school if you go by various evaluation studies many of them are incapable of really following too much in it they are not able to fully read and understand and comprehend all all of them so for whom are we fighting this battle it always bothers me are we fighting the battle for these children of this country or are we fighting a a battle for our own satisfaction that is how i look at this whole controversy so professor when you are speaking about the present education policy and the system being tilted in favor of the elites how do you see a way out of it you know why i brought in this issue is that curriculum at one level is a very abstract idea Uh, deciding on uh, uh, theoretically deciding on what is worth learning what is worth teaching how it should be taught what are the pedagogic principles that we follow these are all theoretical issues that we are talking about when we at one level but finally curriculum is carries meaning only when it manifests itself in the classrooms now how can we not how can we ignore the reality of our classrooms in this country 
where 50% children don't pass out of even 8th grade. So that is what bothers me. So for me, if we are really want to make curriculum meaningful in this country to the majority of the children, not just a minority of the CBSE affiliated schools, or maybe a few thousand schools in each of the state boards where children really do well, most of them in English medium, and then move ahead. But if, to the remaining large number of people, if you want to make it meaningful, then I think we require more structural reform. Without structural reform of the system, I don't think curriculum is going to really make much impact on the education system itself, and particularly for the learning of the children who are from the marginalized groups. And marginalized in this case is not a small margin. Unfortunately, margin occupies more than the, the main. That is the reality of this country. So, Professor, when you say we need to reimagine curriculum in a more meaningful way, we also need to take into account the fact that the way the present system is structured, we have states who are given the authority to, to devise their own curriculum. And you have obviously the NCRT, though it caters to a minority, it generates the maximum discussion points. So. Is this really a weakness in that sense, the fact that there are two competing systems? You know, considering our country's diversity that is there, that is how school education was kept in the state's list when the, when the constitution was made. And this was realized not just uh, during the, when the constitution was framed, even in the 1935 act when uh, the, during the colonial period also, the diversity across the country was recognized and the school education was firmly placed in the hands of the state governments. The idea is that the, we need relevance to the life of the people uh, that should be reflected in the curriculum. Otherwise, curriculum is not very meaningful if it is not reflected, reflecting the life of the people around them. That is how it was in the state subject. And I consider that it's the right move to do that the, every state develops its own curriculum more meaningfully, not like the way that they are doing now. It is not about a fighting between NCRT and then the state government, as many of them are doing now. It is actually you need to really engage with this more substantively. Every state government should do. If you ask me the question, the CBSC schools also should follow this, the curriculum that is following, being followed in a particular state. Why should they not? For instance, if I go to France and, and stay there for my job for three years, will, I, will my child not study the French curriculum? Will I carry my curriculum with them? So why not the state, central government people also, if they are in Kerala or in Tamil Nadu, in the 8th standard, 9th standard, why don't they study the curriculum that is prescribed by, uh, followed in the uh, Tamil Nadu or Kerala? I see no reason why we should not do it. This is essentially an elitist idea that, you know, we are privileged people and our privilege should not be taken away because I am there in some other state. I don't want to learn, uh, I don't want to study the syllabus according to what the Kerala government says or Kerala SCRT says, but I want to take my own curriculum and do. This is a typical elitist view. For me, yes, every state should have engaged with this more substantively about curriculum making and then develops textbooks which are meaningful, locally relevant. I, I completely disagree with the idea that the Lakshadweep people can have the same curriculum as Arunachal Pradesh. It doesn't make any sense to me, in fact. So I am of the view that this whole idea of 
prescribing uh, or competing with the national curriculum is meaningless. It is destroying the life of the children. State government should really invest more in, in thinking and reflecting on their own, develop good groups of this. This was happening till mid 70s and early 80s, but afterwards it has been abandoned. Many of the states, they have lost their capacity to do good work. I wish that we revive it. So what do you think uh, should be the role of the state in framing an educational policy in terms of the extent to which a government's role is permissible? How both history and science have become ideological battlegrounds, especially when they are corrupted with views taken from mythology. To, to what extent is it agreeable? That, is it acceptable that we consider this an, this as an elitist issue that wouldn't uh, influence people from a non-privileged background? Isn't the issue relevant to those people also, even though they may not be directly affected right at this moment? Uh, the idea of drawing up a national policy on education. It's a bit dated idea. Uh, these are broad guidelines that we draw. You know, they, they were very relevant when the nation state was being emerging. At that time, it could act as a unifying factor. And so we have one national policy for the country. But I don't see that it is really making much sense. Second, I want to say, what is a policy statement? In India, national policies, even if it goes through the parliament, has no binding on anyone to follow, including the government of India. There are many things that are written in the, in the policy which have not been followed by anyone in this country. And that happened in 1968 policy, that happened in 1986 policy, and that is happening now also, in fact. So the policies are only broad ideas. It's, a, it's an omnibus document which brings together so many ideas. Very nice things are said there and there ends the matter. So you have produced a beautiful book. Beyond that, it doesn't make much sense. Now, whether the state go, state should have their own policy? In some ways, yes, but policy making should be more engagement with the subjects of concern. Policy, for instance, how do you utilize digital technology in improving school education should be a substantive engagement. Similarly, how do we really ensure that the, the schools really function better and then transact all that we talk about in the curriculum or syllabus or textbooks meaningfully should be a substantive engagement. And whether you draw a policy or do not draw a policy irrelevant for me. Unfortunately, these are all superficial things. It is good for our debates, the middle class debate and uh, TV debates. It is very good to have a policy. Beyond that, what have policies done in this country? Did we follow anything that the Qatari Commission told us in 1960s and 68 policy? Have we followed what the 1986 policy said? Now, are we following 2020 policy? We brought in a Right to Education Act in 2010. Right to Education Act is not an ordinary policy statement. It is a legal document and that to a law deriving from the fundamental right, fundamental right chapter. It is non-negotiable. No, are we following the Right to Education Act today? But in that sense, uh, doesn't curriculum revision also become part of the structural reforms that uh, you were referring to earlier? So when a curriculum is revised in the way that it is being done now, are you suggesting that it wouldn't have that big an impact on a section of people, on the majority of on, on the majority population of this country who are completely out of these debates? I, I think so, because you know, the, our much of our activities are all so much centered around the 
upper and middle class people that uh, their concerns and their schools, which I said is not more than a lakh schools out of the, do you know, there are 15, 15 lakh schools and these schools will not be more than a lakh altogether, even if you add good schools of the state boards and all of them. So we are only engaging, we are out of sync with the reality of this country. Now, whether it is structural reform or better, uh, better uh, functionality of the state system, these are all questions that we can sort out. But in reality, we are out of sync. Our curriculum debate is also out of sync with the reality. We talk of the constructivist approach in national curriculum framework. Excellent idea. There is no, nobody can really question. I think very nice things have been said in the national curriculum framework and very technically very sound. But uh, of what relevance is it in a school which doesn't open half the time or a school where the teacher doesn't go or a school where the teacher sends a proxy teacher or a school where the children don't have a place to sit and read even. So what, what relevance? And I am not talking about a minority. I told you out of 15 lakh schools, I would brand at least 13 to 14 lakh schools are in very bad shape in this country. It is only 10% that are there which are relatively better. Uh, you know, right to education prescribed, how many hours the school should function every day, how many hours the teacher should be there available doing uh, education related work, how many days the uh, every school should function every year, but none of them is followed. Unfortunately, this is not just a matter of middle class or al alone. Our parliament, which was unanimous in adopting the right to education act has not discussed wholesale the Right to Education Act and its implementation even once. It is 13 years since the Education Act was uh, adopted and not even once have they engaged in a day-long debate. Look at any other country in UK or USA and all, whole day they devote for education and threadbare they discuss what is happening. School education comes every other day in debate in UK's parliament. But what are we doing? Our parliamentarians are least concerned. And when, when a debate happens in state government, state assemblies are also, they are not talking about the real issues. They are talking about fighting a battle with the government of India. It's not, that's not our concern. You look after your own children properly. That is what the legislative assembly should do. That is what the uh, um, parliament should do. Not really fighting these political battles alone. That is the problem. We are out of sync completely, even when we make the curriculum. Therefore, structural reforms, and curriculum reform will have to go hand in hand. Professor, just to conclude the discussion, uh, to touch upon the point that you just mentioned, the curriculum debates, because they are imagined as primarily political debates, most of these debates center around revisions in history textbooks or social science textbooks. Whereas massive changes that, are, that have been made in various science textbooks across the country which might be of much more practical relevance to a student who grows up and becomes the citizen of this country in terms of what that citizen contributes to the country. How do you look at it? The science and mathematics teaching even in the best of the schools is poor in this country. And in the government schools, if you go, science and mathematics are often taught by people who have never studied science and mathematics in their graduation. So many of them are like this, this mismatch. See, we, we are not really seriously attending to all these things because the small minority of the people don't really depend too much on what is taught in the school. They can make those things themselves. All these, what I call the, the schools affiliated to CBSC or ICSC and some 
uh, good schools, so-called so high-end schools in the state board, those children are not depend so much on uh, what is taught in the schools. They go to tuition classes, they, uh, they attend the neat uh, training programs, they go to quota and then uh, spend lakhs of rupees and get into IITs and IMs and they fly away from India. Why are they? They are not bothered about it. But shouldn't we be bothered? People who are living in this country about ourselves rather than those who leave us and then go away. That is the real issue. So the science and mathematics have been completely neglected because that is not, uh, that's, that doesn't really give you the grade and then to move up. Once you get the certificate, you can move to a good college and then get what you want and move. This doesn't mean that there are no good people coming out of our system. But uh, that's a very small number who are coming out of a system who generally use an alternate pathway, not necessarily the school alone. And they, they really do well for themselves. And this is what uh, Professor Amrithi Sena is called privileged excellence. If you take away the privilege, probably they will not accept. That's what Amrithi Sena says. So that is, uh, that's how we need to really look at and reform. Reform for more total reform we need to engage in. Not just really piecemeal. Curriculum cannot be reformed without really reforming the school education system. Thank you so much, Professor, for this wonderful discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you.